Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your host, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Beer. Beer. Yeah, uh, I'm Beery good. good. Be- beery good. Beery good. Uh, yeah, no, I'm killing it. Uh, y- you know, end That's of the- Foman. You're going to want to grab that. Oh, my gosh. So my outside fridge keeps my beer exceptionally cold. Yeah. Uh, such that many of the beers I open uh, do exactly that and foam over because they're frozen. So more often than not, I will bring two beers in, sometimes three beers in. I will open one and overturn it into a glass. I will leave the other on the counter and then I'll open the third and just drink through the slush until <laughs> until the one that's in the glass has melted sufficiently. Oh, I see cuz it's like it's like actually frozen. Oh, it's yeah. Have you considered just turning the fridge down? Oh, it's uh, down to touch? it's down to the absolute minimum temperature, but because it gets so cold in the winter uh-huh. and the way refrigeration works, it brings it below the temperature in the world around it. And when it's 40 degrees outside, it's bringing things down to 20 degrees. It, and I have no no clue how refrigeration works, honestly. So that's the uh, only thing I can figure. Because so my assumption is that it works very similar to air conditioning. Air conditioning can only bring things thirty degrees below the ambient temperature. So if it's hundred degrees, you're only going to get to seventy, which feels way better than hundred. Is that right? Yeah. It only can bring things down thirty degrees. That's what I've been told. I can't speak to the science, but that's what I've been told by a couple people independent of one another. So when it's like a hundred plus outside, and you come inside, and you're like, it does not feel like the air conditioner is on. It's because it's it just can't bring it down. That's what I understand. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's that's how I understand it based on some some folks who maybe I shouldn't trust, <laughs> but how it's been explained to me. No, fuck. This is a science show now. Yeah. This How things a... work. Air conditioners, they make it cooler than it is outside. But I think... <laughs> exactly 30 I, I think, degrees. I think having a refrigerator outside has an impact on freezing stuff because it doesn't happen during the summer. Things great during the summer. But from like November to end of March, all my beer freezes, glass bottles break. It's a whole thing. Sure, sure. We went to the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry this weekend. Oh. Which was fun. Took the kids. Uh, It was cool. Yeah. I I mean, it's a cool place. You you know, it's a little less cool than I remember from being a child. That makes sense. Yeah. I I mean, you know, sometimes you do things and you're like, yeah, this is actually super epic. The zoo, for example. Yeah, that's right. I feel that way about the zoo still. Uh, It was a little bit less cool. So Oregon Museum of Science and Industry is actually a very big museum in downtown Portland. Or it's actually technically not downtown. It's on the other side of the river but it's so right east side right there in the the heart of portland do they you still know, have a submarine there yeah we we toured it we toured the uh the uss blueback oh i wanted to say humpback but i knew that wasn't right <laughs> he said hump i did <laughs> um yeah yeah, but that's that's that was my weekend. How, it, how did the kids like it? That's the important thing. They they loved your it. enjoyment is irrelevant. They loved it. You know, uh, we did this. They have like a a planetarium with like a, yeah, you, you know, a, a big dome on the top, and they they can project uh, stars on that. But they can also um, they also have like a laser light show in there, and so we did a laser light show, and the kids thought that was really epic. And I was like, this is so. I have a vague terrible. memory of seeing Pink Floyd. Yeah. laser light show there. yeah the, the wall i, I yeah. we used to we used to do that fairly regularly so i don't i i must have because i have a memory of doing it i just can't think of when i would have done that it's pretty cool that you know 
they sync up the lasers with the, you know, Pink Floyd's got that yeah. really sort of staccato, up and down tempo, contrasty music, and that lends itself to a laser light show really well. But uh, whatever. How are you? I'm super well. I have some friends in from North Carolina. They're people that I made friends with while I was in the Army at Fort Hood. So they're at my house with their two kids. And so the house is a little bit of a zoo, which is to be expected because their kids are one and three. Oh, boy. So I could kind of split mine. Sure. So it's just... uh. It, yeah, it's just a little crazy. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of adults in my house, and there's a lot of children in my house. But you know, the good news, everybody is illuminated. Yeah, because I ran all those lights. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't understand. I thought you were, some for some reason, referencing the Elijah Wood, everything is illuminated movie, and I was like, no, no, I don't get it. No, that, it was that re- doesn't I, track. But yeah, no, there's lights. So I was referencing see. the ongoing saga of so, the Robert's lights. So this morning, we went, uh, me and me and John went fishing uh, in a place that we've been fishing before, and Hun- I... Honey hole. It is a honey hole, and I did some fishing, but because he's in from the East Coast, like, spent his whole life for the most Here, part... Wait, 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 here summer. it comes, you guys, here it comes. Let's let's listen to why Andrew didn't catch fish this morning. Go ahead. Continue. No, so he's so he's in from the south. And what I was really excited about <laughs> was to get him out into a place that I know we catch fish. And I did some fishing, but I was super fucking cold and I had to make a poop drop. So I was like just like uncomfortable the whole time. And he's out, he's he's got my gear rod and he's just throwing a just a, a little spinning lure out and he's hammering fish. He's picked up five and he picked up probably uh probably I'm going to say probably a seven pound trout. Mm. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good size trout. It, it was for sure a keeper. It was a big trout. Se- seven pound, not a seven pound. You think seven pounds? Dude, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was probably 16 inches. Yeah. It was a big trout from, yeah, from across, healthy. from across the row. I was like, that could be a steelhead. Yeah. You, you know, they, they short, they, they pool up. So the, the place we're talking about is undisclosed location. Uh, although we've already said everything you need it's to know. It's on the river. It's it, on the Rao River. And I will tell you that. The right. Rao River is quite long. <laughs> right underneath the Durino Reservoir. And uh, there's a pool. There's a reservoir pool right underneath the dam. And they pool up. the. There's hatchery fish. They they drop off hatchery fish down So we, we actually were not that close to the dam, relatively. Oh, okay. You guys were a little further down. Yeah, we were a little bit further down. There were some dudes who, were, who we, we met walking in, and they were going to go hit the hole, uh-huh. and they were fishing bass and cat, and we we're like, I was like, ah, let's go a little bit further down, because there's still going to be trout everywhere. Sure. And I don't want to interfere with these guys. So anyway, I, I didn't do a whole lot of fishing. I did some casting and just kind of throwing some throwing, throwing some flies out, and he's hammering with, with gear, and I'm like, dude, this is awesome, because he's coming from east coast never river fished never done any of this so he's catching trout for the first time in his life and it's amazing yeah it's a and i'm like hey dude you've hammered like you've you've caught five trout and you've caught two really good trout there are people who have fished for years and not catch either one of these fish what do you think about going home smoking a park shoulder he's like yeah dude but let me try your fly rod yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I hand him my fly rod and I'm trying to give him instructions and I'm not doing it very clearly because everything I say is crystal clear to me and to me only. Right. <laughs> so right. I'm trying to give him instructions and it's a little bit of a mess. Sure. But he's got a fly in the water and he's he's 
doing some casting, like he's, he's backhand casting out and he's getting some distance on it and it's getting away. And he goes, I'm on a, I'm on a fish. I'm like, no, you're fucking not, dude. You're on a rock. Just give it a yank. And he gives it a yank and it holds. And I hear the line run a little bit. And I'm like, son of a bitch. You're on a fucking fish. You're on a fucking fish. <clears throat> and he pulls in his sixth trout of the day That's on awesome. his first cast on a fly rod. So the dude has comes up to the West Coast for the, I mean, the second fishes river fishing, freshwater fishing for the first time in his life, and pulls in six trout, two money trout, and one on a fly rod. You, you know, the best fish I ate, one of the best trout I've ever caught, I caught a rainbow there, a, a little bit up right under the dam, uh, but I could see there was a little bit of a hatch, I think it was about this time of the year, and there's a March brown hatch coming up, and I had like a perfect fly on, and I was presenting it just really well, and it was getting sort of late. It was getting sort of late, and I'm like, God, I'm, I should be catching fish because they're rising, they're popping out of the water, and I'm just not catching anything. And uh, it's that that time of day where I'm like, okay, just one more, just one more. Ugh. And then my fly starts sinking. My my, I'm fishing a dry fly, and I can't see shit because it's just starting to get dusky. And uh, I realize my fly, it's a little parachute, March brown, and it's going underwater, so I can't see it anymore. And so I... I, I remember thinking, well, I'm just going to swing it for a second. And so I kind of let it just sort of hang out like underwater, downstream, nothing, nothing, fish jumping all around it. I'm like, God damn it. sons of bitches. And so I kind of like temper tantrum, start ripping it in. Mm-hmm. I remember like like borderline temper tantrum, like big yanks. I'm like, oh, I've caught fish on that motherfucker. temper tantrum. I get hit hard. I get hit hard on my temper tantrum retrieve. And it was, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was quite, if it was quite a 16 incher, but probably a 15 pound fat football rainbow yeah. trout. Just awesome. Yeah. This, this was, this was a huge, this was one of the biggest trout I've ever seen come out of the water. Cool. Yeah. It was, it was impressive. So, cool. uh, so yeah, so that was my day. And then we smoked a pork shoulder and some ribs. I made the best ribs I've ever made before on the smoker so with the pork shoulder do you just uh you just chop it up and mix it with like a cigar like wrap it up in a like how do you do that i throw it on hole i give it a dry rub throw it on hole and just smoke it <laughs> okay never mind. i understand <laughs> we, we should get into it are talking about watches today sort of we're talking about watches well, we'll yeah we'll oh, have some watch related things and, and, and assorted musing so this is as you know because you've clicked on a button to get to this podcast and that, read the title right <laughs> well unless you're not illiterate and that's okay unless you're not literate unless uh, you no, are a literate oh unless uh, illiterate yeah not illiterate a literate like the the noun yeah okay that's confusing it could be yeah the- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is our question and answer. So we reached out to you guys via uh, via the Instagram, uh, in, in, Instagram and uh, asked you, hey, w- if you could ask them some questions, w- what would they be? Uh, you guys responded, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, you guys hit it hard. You, you hit it. I, I think that there is... At least three questions. Four. Uh, four. Oh, okay. Whew. Four. No, you know, I, I, we're just, there's zero chance we get to all of these. There is only about a 25% chance that we get to half of them. So we should start. Yeah, we should get it. We should start I, in, in no particular order. So so here's the deal. We're going to sort of run through these. We're going to see one as we see it. Uh, we're going to pop it up. We're going to talk about it. If we do not get to your question. If we it's do because we don't question, like you or your question. Fear. <laughs> do not feel bad. Do not feel bad. We will try to get to all of them over time, uh, that, although that very well may not happen. We might make this like a quarterly thing and just try to catch up on the backlog and the new ones. And 
That's that's right. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start, and I'm, I'm probably not going to say all of these people, um, but this is a question from Catlin. Ooh. Catlin. Catlin.watches.life. Uh, start with the hard ones. 10 and 2 Media. And I'll present it to you first, Andrew. Uh, if you had to go to a one-watch collection, ooh. what would it be? What watch would it be? So I guess the question is the, 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 my my first clarifying question, and this is important. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give two answers. Number one is if I have to go to a one watch collection from what I currently have, and and then answer number two will be if I have to go to a one watch collection of just one watch in the world. Why don't we present it this way? Take your current collection, take your current collection, uh, sell it all. You can have one watch. Ooh. With that value, plus or minus, say, 50% of the total value. Well, that makes it unfair, because I don't have a speedy. Unfair for you, yes. <laughs> uh, so, one watch collection. I am going to go a dress sport. I'm going to land with either the uh, Laurier Falcon or the Seiko Sarb. And I think I, I, think I tend towards Sarb. Because you have more money than this, I do, but I I think that's where I land. Oh, interesting. I think that's I think those are two of the most versatile watches in the marketplace right now. They can go anywhere, do anything, be dressed up, be dressed down. They're not especially expensive, so they're not going to fall into beater category. But they're not going to fall into I need to baby this and wrap it in bubble wrap every time I wear it category. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's where I land. I land in a dress sport in the neighborhood of. Sarb or Falcon? I go with a black dialed Aquaterra. Yeah. That's it. Okay. All right. Just just question answered. Like no, no <laughs> thoughtful night. Like, yeah, no, that's the answer. Okay, so uh beer question. Ooh. What type of beer is underrated? Oktoberfests are are the uh, oh. the question the 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 questioners answer. But so, what type of beers are underrated? So we're gonna go style of beer that's underrated. That's right. That's right. Okay. What style of beer is underrated? Oh, interesting. So I I'm immediately thinking toward sours. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there's such a there's such a variety. I'm a, or maybe saisons like farmhouse ales that are really traditional champagne yeast beer. But I don't know if they're underrated. I think every, I feel like every beer has its appreciation. Like Natty Light has a has a following. Natty Ice has a following. Mm-hmm. Hurricane has a following. Hurricane's not yummy, but I'm gonna tend in in the beer world in the way of beer drinkers. I'm gonna te- I'm gonna say farmhouse ales are underrated and i think they're underrepresented in the beer market at least in the northwest because ipas are king here Mm -hmm. yeah no that's right that's right you know i i think that farmhouse is is a better choice than sours two years ago i think sour would have been the right answer i think i think farmhouse is a better choice i'm gonna go with uh uh maybe not an obvious answer i'm gonna say brown ales Mm, yeah no I i think you're right there yeah i'm gonna go with brown ales i think that there are a number of really good brown ales but uh i don't think they get sort of the attention they deserve because you know beers like with well, like with so many things right you, you know dive watches everybody wants a big chunky dive watch or a thousand meters you know the, we go to extremes i think brown ales are so moderate just 
by definition, it's a very moderate beer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they are a, a little bit underappreciated. Some of my very favorite beers are Brenner's ales. So uh, there is a uh, English pub not far from us, and they are all cask English style ales, like all session ales right from the cask, super cheap. And I, I'm going to add on to your brown ale a lot of them are like english special bitters which are kind of a, they're they're a varietal of brown sure. ales and you're looking at like the a esb you're looking at like a two percent beer that you could you could drink from dawn until dusk just and, sesh on and just never ever feel drunk and they're so light and refreshing and tasty it's like drinking tea all day but also toasty and malty yeah. right yeah also toasty mm -hmm. and malty Divers or chronographs, which Ooh. do you prefer? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, do you, I, I know what I prefer. I prefer chronograph all day. I I think I prefer diver. I love a good chronograph, and I, I love the sportiness of a chronograph, but I... I burped. It was long. I think in a I, I think in a daily wear watch, I'm gonna tend towards diver. I want a little bit more simplicity. I want a little bit more uh, refinement in it than than what a lot of chronographs offer. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I you know, this is sort of a, a a question that presents an analog when the answer is certainly not uh, not analog. Um, but if I had to choose one, I, my my interests lie in chronographs for sure. Uh, you, you know these old Seiko automatic chronographs. Uh, I've just recently sort of uh, kindled a an interest in seventy seven fifty movements, um, which are cool. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, you know, I, I think these these mechanical chronographs are so quirky. Uh, they're a little expensive. Uh, obviously, you know, I had my, and they're a little touch and go. That's, that's, that's right. part of the issue with mechanical chronographs is they're, they're not a VK 64 where you can do whatever the fuck you want to it. And it's going to just keep running. They're a little, little finicky. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, for me, it's chronographs for sure. In fact, I suspect that most of the money watches that I'll buy in my life are going to be chronographs. Um, but you know, time will tell. Interesting. Time will tell. Um, okay. What would be your ideal collection size? Ooh. All? Yeah. Is that an answer? No, I was going to suggest a number. Do you oh. have a number in mind? My, my number, I'll just say my number, and then you can say yours. My number is about 532. Well, I was going to say all, right. which is, <laughs> you know, the same but different. Uh, so in the way of an ideal collection size, I would say 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't really want to live in a world where I have more than fifteen watches in my closet. Uh, I will live in that world, and I'm pretty close to living in that world. Yeah, I definitely am. Um, I I just want to be a little bit more. I I want to be able to be in a place as a consumer and as somebody who appreciates appreciates watches to be discerning enough to to filter my collection my pile down to less than 15 you, you know generally I, speaking like they're like maybe it'll ebb and flow you know things can come in and, and make their way in mm -hmm. and out but i think generally i want to have a co no more than a core of 15 
I can see I can see a lot of value in that answer, um, and I and I sort of feel the same way, um, but but I actually at, on balance I think that um, when I go to a Red Bar or something and I see these fantastic vintage collections, I could see myself with a twenty five to forty watch collection and be and be comfortable with that. But if you're looking at like vintage collection, collecting, yeah. and I think that's really yeah. different. I think that's that's a little bit different than the way I I took that question. I'm thinking my collection of watches being like the watches that I have have accumulated, not necessarily a curated collection. Because I think there's a difference between that between somebody who has this series of vintage watches that they've collected whether by having had them this whole time or by sought them out and found those watches versus me as a consumer who just wears watches and likes them, accumulating watches to for, like, for the sole purpose of wearing them and enjoyment, not necessarily their value as a, as a collector's item. Because I'd be, I, I'm on board. Like if you have a hundred watch collection and it's because you like this Seiko movement and you have every time it's ever been, been issued, that, you know, a hundred's a hundred. That's, that's a collection versus an a, like a an assortment. I'd want a, I'd want an assortment. I wouldn't want a collection. I, I and I like the assortment. And I yeah. think for me, an assortment is is probably neighborhood of fifteen. So I'm going to move up the list, but I want to get to this one first. So someone asks. Uh, so this is actually I'll say who this one is. This is South Pie STL fifteen. This is one of our very. good... I'm still eating chips, man, right. and it's it makes me so happy. <laughs> this is one of our very favorite uh, listeners uh, and just, my best friend. Yeah, perhaps he doesn't know it, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah, well, now he does. Uh, so he says, what is your dream car mod for your LS, my LS400? Oh. This question is directed at me, obviously, because Andrew does not And we've talked about this. I know it. I already know what the dream car mod is. What do you think it is? Dual extended exhaust. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. Uh, some sort of some sort of exhaust modification. You know, the, the thing about the Japanese, uh, specifically with regards to that Lexus, is they are very, very focused on a smooth... Luxurious, luxurious driving silky experience. Ride. So, meanwhile, they've taken this one UZ engine, which is one of the all-time great power plants. V8, uh, four-liter, just a King Cobra under the hood, and they have made it per very oh, quietly. At best, it sounds like a Tesla, or not a not a Tesla, but like a Prius, right? Just. <laughs> <laughs> You, you know, and so that feels a little bit of a waste to me, especially because it is a you know at this point damn near a vintage car. Um, so I will almost certainly put a some sort of dual glass pack exhaust on that thing at some point. I don't want it to be nasty. I don't want it to be loud, but I do want it to. You be, want the rumble? I want some rumble. You know, I I heard a Mustang with a good rumble the other day from around the block. Mm-hmm. And I, I was working and it was, it had such a loud rumble to it that it drew my interest. I followed him for like two and a half miles. He was like, I'm getting fucking a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've talked about that, that, that mod. We, we spent yeah. a day on the river talking about that mod and, and right. planning out how we do it. And you're like, I'm pretty sure we could just do it with a hacksaw. I'm like, nah, I mean, you're not wrong, <laughs> but you're not right. Just, and you know that. We just get, you know, the yeah. spring clamps and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's pretty doable. I think it probably, we could do it in a day. We could do it. We, we'd need to get a welder. We don't have one, but we could do that. We could get a welder. Yeah. Harbor Freight. We could probably get one for like $34. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I think welders, you know, you do get what you pay for a little bit, but for this for this case, you know, as long as we could get it sealed up, as long as we could get it sealed up, it doesn't need to be a jewelry box, right? What I can tell you is that I can't solder. Oh, I can definitely, I can oh, solder. I'm yeah. so bad at it. Yeah, I can solder. I, I, but that does not applicable to this skill. It could be. <laughs> I imagine they translate pretty closely. Not exactly, but that skill set translates. Earliest watch memory, Andrew, go. Ooh, so I had probably like a Casio diver that I remember I was super excited about. This is the first watch I remember having. I'm sure I had watches before it, but it was this big, clunky, probably Casio diver. And I remember breaking the crystal on it and continuing to wear it because I... I was so excited about having that watch and also so scared of admitting that I had broken what I perceived to be a super nice watch. Sure. Sure. Something valuable that you were supposed to be careful with that you weren't. And just smash the the acrylic. Yeah. Mine is, uh, I had a Lady and the Tramp Ooh. watch as a very young person. I remember where I was at least at one point wearing it. So I could not have been older. It, I, I was at most in the third grade. So it was what, like eight. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So probably second or third grade. It was a Lady in the Tramp watch and it was mechanical. I don't know that at the time I realized that it was mechanical or even what a mechanical watch was versus just a watch uh, at that time. You know, this is, you know, late 80s. Um, and so I didn't have any sort of recognition that it was quartz or mechanical or whatever, but I overwhelmed it. I oh, overwhelmed no it, yeah, and, and it broke, and it was that same feeling. It was like, man, I've been I've been given this cool, nice thing, and I've broken it. Hmm. Yeah, a lady in the tramp mechanical watch. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. That sounds right. Who made it? Was it like a like a? It, it's got to be coming through like a like a Disney licensed. You know, I have looked for it. I have looked for it and not been able to find it. Um, you you know, if you Google sort of Lady in the Tramp mechanical watch, there's a number of things that pop up. I would know it if I saw it. I have not found it, so I don't know. There must have been like nine of them made. So you destroyed a, like a priceless <laughs> piece of horology history. Per, per. Cool, Ev. <laughs> Uh, so if you can only own three watches, what would they be not limited by price? So a bit of an extension mm. on Catlin's one watch. You only get three, no price limit. What are they? So my first watch is going to be a Breitling Navtimer LCD. Okay. Okay. One of the, it, that, that's it. That's, that's my number one, my go-to. I don't particularly care what else is in there but that's that that's the end all be all but if we're only going to go three so we're going to go we're going to go brightling nav timer lcd i think i'm going to go i think i'm going to go a day just mm -hmm. i got 38 uh, so I think no, the thirty nine is the thirty nine, th right? Yeah, yeah, thirty six yeah, thir or thirty nine or forty one. Yeah, of I the think two. I'm gonna go whatever that that not that small size, the Datejust two. Yeah, the the two, and then for my third watch, I, th uh, oh, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna retract my Datejust and go 
a an explorer two. An explorer two. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna go explorer two. And then I think number three, I'm gonna land on a I don't know. Circle back to me. Circle back for for number three. Okay. Circle back so for number three. I'm gonna go Speedmaster. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh black dial, spring drive, plain bezel, Grand Seiko. Yeah. And I'm going to go for a dive watch, probably a Doxa 300 sub. Yeah. Number three, I'm going to go a snowflake. Snowflake, okay. Um, I was trying to decide between like, I'm, I'm trying to think through that spring drive lineup, and I think I'm going to land on a snowflake. So you've got an LCD. Yeah. You've got a snowflake. What was the th- what was the second one? An Explorer. Oh, an Explorer. Yeah. So 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 the LCD, the Explorer 2, and a snowflake. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. That's, you, I could, I could, I will work the rest of my life and not have any of those. Oh, watches. oh, you know what? If, if we really, if we really don't have to, yeah. So I'm gonna replace my, I'm gonna replace my Grand Seiko. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, oh, you're gonna go up, like an AP kind of route. I'm gonna go Nautilus. Oh yeah. Yeah, Nautilus, Black Dial Nautilus. I want OBJ's Richard Meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to sell it, and then I can buy all the watches I want. Because I, I feel like it would take me a long time to reach the quarter million mark in watches that I want. So this is a quick one. Would you rather go over your budget on booze, per end whiskey, or a watch? Ooh. I mean, I'm more inclined to go over my budget on whiskey. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I go to a liquor store. I'm like, I was going to pick up a bottle. I'm like, I picked up a couple... We're like, oh, hey, this bottle was only ninety dollars. It's not a big deal. It's easy. It's easier to break the budget on booze because to break the budget on a watch, you're looking at like, like my wife's threshold of like raising her eyebrow. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Right. And like, fuck off. Is neighborhood of three hundred dollars? If I say, hey, I'm gonna buy this three hundred dollar watch, she's like, oh, well, okay. I'm gonna buy this four hundred dollar watch. No, you're not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, I missed a watch yesterday because I I, I missed. So, oh God, I'm so bummed. So, you, man, like I, I didn't say this last week because I didn't want to risk that that uh, you know, whatever, right? Uh, but the watch that I was bidding on on eBay was a uh, Casio G-Shock JDM MRG two ten T T. Uh, being a titanium designator. This is a watch from 1997. I've talked about it on the show a number of times. It is my unicorn, my grail watch. They oftentimes pop up, but because they're JDM, the bracelets tend to be between uh, five and three quarters and six and a half inches. And so it's just really hard to find one to fit my big, my fat American wrists. Um, You know, one of these popped up with an 8.4 inch, approximately 8.4 inch bracelet. Uh, or you know, total size. Um, it was basically mint, um, and I did not bid enough. I made the mistake and didn't bid enough. But it was that deal, right? Yeah. It was. It, I needed to bid another probably hundred to one hundred and twenty-five on it, and I was feeling anxiety about spending that much money. So, would you rather? I, I mean, I don't like to go over budget on anything, but I would rather. Um, spend a little bit extra money to get a watch that I really wanted because booze is booze. You know me, I drink nothing but wild turkey and famous grouse. So Well, you're drinking some Dayglo right now. Right. Yeah, so Elysian uh, Dayglo IPA, which is fantastic. It's my mm. favorite IPA on the market. Not my favorite IPA, but it, it is delicious. It is delicious. So we have another one in here that says, what's your favorite bourbon? I'm not looking at the question right now, but um, 
that was the tone of the question. What what about you there, Bubba? Uh, so I am in the way uh like this is another nuanced question and in, in what what's the context of it is it is it my favorite bourbon i can drink every day or is it my favorite bourbon to just have like that special sip of have yourself an answer man have myself an answer so what my one of my favorites that i have ever had is wl weller the special reserve purple label it is fantastic. It's got sherry notes, and it's the the anybody who's familiar with bourbons and is listening is fam, is familiar with the, with the Weller lineup. It's a Buffalo Trace. It's a it's basically the the X outs the seconds of Pappy's Distillery, and W O Weller is phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. extremely affordable, and it is terrific. And, and when he says extremely affordable, like I mean, like thirty bucks a bottle between thirty and eighty bucks, depending on depending on where you find it. Yeah. So like 30 bucks a bottle for just something terrifically smooth, terrifically drinkable. And what's great about it is that it's, it tastes special, Mm -hmm. but it's also not so big. It's not an Elijah Craig that you can have like once a week and be like, Whoa, I don't need any more of that. You can have it every day. You, and and it's affordable enough that you can have it every day. Sure. Sure. Provided sure. it's available in stores because it, people have caught on to the fact that it's a seconds and is also delicious and is the best value in the liquor market. You know, I really love um, I really love Green Label Weller when you can find it. It's hard to find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to buy something special that I know I can find, it's going to be Knob Creek. I like Knob Creek. Just the standard. Woodford's really good too. Standard Knob Creek is my, is my go-to jam. But in terms of what I like to drink... What I like to drink on a daily basis, as you may or may not know, I'm a wild turkey guy. So wild turkey is 101 proof. Wild turkey, yeah, but it's the wild turkey 101 specifically because there's a that's wild right. turkey that's not 101. Well, and there's a number of wild turkey products, yeah. but wild turkey 101, the OG. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, you guys. Uh, I think that a lot of people have an experience with wild turkey 101 when they're in college or perhaps even high school, and so there's this idea that wild turkey is nasty booze. No. Uh, but I'll tell you, as a guy who has had a lot of bourbons and a lot of really good bourbons, uh, my experience is that Wild Turkey is uh, the best, the best value. It could be yeah. in bourbon. It is an incredibly smooth drinking, super balanced, yeah, super balanced whiskey. And uh, you know, because it is 101 proof, it's hot. What I like to, I, mm-hmm. I use the term hot. Uh, which it, in my mind is is a good thing. Uh, I think some people feel like hot or spicy is, is takes away from bourbon. It can, it can. When, when improperly managed. But in terms of in terms of a daily drinker, golly, yeah, wild turkey. That's my go to yeah. jam. Famous grouse is the same way. Four, I mean, four roses. I don't know. And that's kind of yeah. like yeah. We could talk, we could probably have a have a whiskey podcast. <laughs> I think. <laughs> So Tom Sardellini asks us, what was your first watch? I think we both kind of talked about that already. I don't really know what my first watch yeah. was. Yeah. Like in the way of my first thoughtful decision, it was the Citizen Avion. Sure. Uh, but in, in the way of my first watch, who the fuck knows? Yeah, I know for me, I know it was that it was that Lady in the Tramp watch. And yeah. there was a swatch cl- that closely followed that one. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, an 80s, lots of color swatch. But yeah, my first my first thoughtful decision was my SKX. Sorry to not give you a better answer on that one. <laughs> okay, I like this. Uh, what are your views on price range within a collection, i.e., 
consistent prices versus grails among beaters. Mm. I tend I tend towards the second. I yeah. oh, like yeah. the latter. I think I think for for it to be a collection an accumulation of watches, you sh- it should be diverse. You should have some beaters. You should have some watches that are, you know, that maybe have some sentimental value. And I think that everyone deserves to have those couple watches that are like this was more expensive than I sh- this is more money than I should have spent on a watch, but I love this watch and I want to have it. Yeah. I think you should have some diversity because if your watches are you know, if if what you have is entirely made up of beaters, then why have more than one? And if it's entirely made up of grail watches, like, and none of them are a grail watch, right? Yeah. I mean, if if you have nine grails, which one's the grail? Well, I think that the I think that the you know the, this is an either or, right? So so it's either do you want sort of consistent pricing or do you want these this sort of diversified uh, collection? I think that the first option. Uh, connotes a certain level of, um, well, I, I think it connotes an idea that there's uh, objective qualities to watches that are only obtainable at certain price levels, right? So, mm-hmm. so a thousand dollar watch is inherently going to be better or more good than a. $200 watch or a $9 watch in the F91W. That's right. And and we have over the last 2 years I think squashed that idea or at least attempted to whether or not we've done so successfully or not it's up to you guys but you know I get more joy out of the SKX putting that SKX on my wrist than I do just about any other watch I've ever worn. So if you brought me a Patek Calatrava, I would realize that it was wonderful. I would love to wear it. Uh, I would have a good time. I would enjoy it. It would be special. And How- it would run so far and so fast. Right. <laughs> With that said, I would not get more joy out of wearing that watch. For- furthermore, you know, everybody loves the Oris Aquas, and-, and I've said on the show before that I don't like the Oris Aquas, but I think that there's this idea. In fact, uh, TG- TGV, what is it? What? What is the, what is the, is it TGV? What is the... Are you talking about uh, the human papillomavirus? Yes, exactly. No, uh, the urban gentry. Oh, uh, okay. I think released a video in the last couple of weeks that's, that suggests that the Oris Aquas is the best dive watch between 1,000 and 2,000. I'll tell you right now, I'll take an SKX all any day over an Oris Aquas. Now, there are other watches. There's other watches in that price point that I think are superior. That's right. That I would, you know, as I said earlier, a Doxa, a Doxa you know, 300. I, I think, think a Sumo is a better watch. Per, perhaps I would, I like, and I would not trade my SKX for a Sumo. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I know. They're going to be the same price soon. So there is I'm no... I'm an idiot for not having <laughs> bought one. One dick. So there's no, you know... Buy the watches you like. Yeah. No matter how much they cost. I mean, obviously, you're going to be constrained by your own budget. But, you know, to the extent that you see a $100 watch and you're like, I just fucking love that watch and I want to wear it. But wear it. You, I have a, I have a Speedmaster. I have an SNK. And some days I pick up the SNK and I'm like, I'm wearing you today, SNK. Well, your SNK is not a good example of an SNK. But you wore your SNK the other day and it was the yeah, same thing. I thought, God, it. that's a fucking cool watch, man. <clears throat> yeah. So, so yeah, there's no, I, no inherent value in spending more money. But I, I think I think there is to the point of if you can only afford 12, 15, 25, $30 watches, like super, 
super affordable watches, like forgettable money watches, I don't think it's necessary for you to be buying a hundred of them, twenty of them even. Sure. Because they're really there there's not a big there's not a, a really noticeable difference in what's available at that price point. So there's going to be things where, yeah, your, I, I feel like your price, your price points, your, your actual uh, expense of your watches should have a variation, but that's in the nature of what's filling those roles mm-hmm. in, in the watches that you have. Everyone should have their dirty banger watch that they can wear in the mud, that they can wear when they're over the grill, when they're swinging a hammer, and whether it's an F91, whether it's a 5600, whatever. Yeah. But there's there's going to be some diversity. I think it's like a toolbox. You're going to have tools that are more expensive than others, and you're going to have tools that have different applications. So thoughts on Horage's efforts to build a movement and whether more people will do it as costs come down. I thought about this a little bit today, so I'm going to tackle oh. this one. Um, you, you know, I, I think that there's a number of companies right now that are doing a lot to sort of develop uh, develop movements and diversity and movement manufacturing. Um, Horage being an example. I don't know an, a ton about Horage's movement or the CMMK movement, whatever it is. Uh, what I do know is that they're fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. I know that in the United States, we've got sort of a movement to uh, have truly sort of American um, American movements. I know that RGM for for years has had their sort of American made and assembled. I know Cameron Weiss a number of years ago had one of the first uh, like actual FTC compliant American made movements with the, I think it's the 1003 caliber. Um, They're expensive, right? They're expensive uh because it, it just takes a lot to do that in the united states i asked nick about this nick nick harris of orion about this earlier uh you know hey w- what are we still what are we still lacking on he thinks we can do um jewels here there's still a, a hard time doing uh hairsprings here mm-hmm. and and escapements can be tough to you know so so yes i think more and more companies are going to start trying to do movements I, I don't this this implies that the these people are that companies are going to make movements and the prices are going to come down i don't see that happening not anytime soon what what i hope for the next five years is that we get an at least an american company doing soup to nuts like an ebosh yeah and at like the five-year mark becomes competitive with Etta or Miyota uh, in the in the way of movement production. That's I what I hope. Happen. I don't think it'll happen, it won't but happen. that's my hope. You know, there's there's a couple problems with that. One, there's there's ROI, right? right. These companies are going to invest so much money into these processes, and so the odds that they're going to be able to uh, get an ROI in five years such that they can lower the prices. The other thing is scaling, right? Yeah. You're they're not going to be able to scale production. I mean, this is a fifty you know, maybe a 25, 30, 40 year process. Uh, and someone's going to have to be really focused on uh, efficiency and scale. I don't think it's a 40 scale. year process. Well, I, I mean, I think I think American manufacturing can can capture the the efficiency and scale because American manufacturing is, it, it has all the same components. It's just what we're trying to do is translate it into making watch parts. And it's a matter of a company seeing the value in in the... American watch market, which is 
is a burgeoning mm-hmm. small like a boutique market mm-hmm. that's th- which but is that's it. that's it which is which is hard to capture what they're going to have yeah. to do is be able to capture 100 clients as opposed to one that's right yeah and, so and so we'll it, yeah. see right we'll see we'll see what happens i i think we're much further off from having accessible sort of uh, entry level uh, American movements. I know that wasn't exactly the question, but we sort of reframed it in a way that that we're that's on our minds. So we'll we'll have to do another state of the watch union at the conclusion of 2020, perhaps, and and state our our current state and and where we hope to be in the following year. So I'm sure this question this this uh, this person wants to remain confidential. So I won't say who this is. Uh, what? If any other podcasts, perhaps hosted by two hilarious Scotsmen, Scotchmen, do you listen to? <laughs> um, Andrew, what 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 watch podcasts are you listening to? Uh, so my watch, po- my podcasts in general have fallen off because for the last uh, you know eighteen weeks, I have n- I've been in a car with somebody else. Um, but as I get back into being a car by myself, uh. I like a lot of the Grey NATO podcasts. I like Two Broke Watch Knobs. I really like Scottish watches. Ten and Two is a winner. Um, but in the way of none watch and and there's other watch podcasts that I'll like pick up, like find episodes and and go to them like Love and Watches. Like I, I don't want to leave anyone out anybody out of this because everyone is producing quality content. There's some people I like more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not being on my list, I don't know. I I don't know why I feel like I have an obligation to. Well, because we not like be these people, right? yeah. Because right? I like every, yeah, yeah I like, these, like people. these people, uh, yeah. Uh, but outside of watch podcasts, you know, I'm, I love uh, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. Uh, Small Town Dicks is one that I listen to whenever they drop their new season, and that's all. Well, for the most part, it's all true crime stuff, uh, stuff you should know. Radio Lab stuff you should know. Just the kind of general nerdy mm-hmm. podcast lineup that I think everybody's listening to. I don't think That's I'm right. unique in my podcast no. consumption. No, <laughs> no. Uh, so I'm I'm a you know Radio Lab, This American Life, every week. Both of those both of those shows. Um, I I do really like stuff you should know. Although sometimes I feel like I pick and choose. I mean, I'm not a I'm not an every like, episode person. They're like the us version, you know. Like these guys don't know what they're fucking talking about. They just read some shit on Warner Round, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's our jam. We're we are you guys right now. We're we're the same people. We just happen to have microphones in front of us and but in terms like of drinking beer together. In terms of watch podcasts, it, it's no surprise. Uh, I really like Tenant Two. Their their material is week in and week out the best. They did a Teddy Baldassar interview that is just freaking nuts. Um, you, you know, week in week out, that's my favorite. I those those gals really have uh the gift of gab down. Scottish watches is hilarious. Uh, uh, Too bad they'd never join us. I know, right? Those fuckers. Uh, out of time, out of time podcast. I think is maybe a little bit of a sleeper pick. I'm not sure that they're. Um, I, I'm not sure that they're really in, in the popular conversation, which is too bad because they are doing fantastic, fantastic shows and their whole sound, their whole thing is different. Uh, SoCal Watch Reviews, mm-hmm. uh, Miguel, uh, Miguel and uh, uh, P and uh, they're they're doing something really fun. I really like what they're doing. Uh, and and obviously, Two Broke Watch Knobs, that's my jam. I've stopped listening to Grey Nato. I just 
they've got some episodes like i pick and choose i i'm not a any of my podcast consumption i'm not an every week every episode listener anymore sure yeah yeah well and and i actually wind up getting through most of all of those every week but um you, you know it is what it is. It, it it's hard. It, it's hard to sort of. Sometimes you feel like you got to keep up, but then and then I'll see something and I'll. I'll I don't even listen to our podcast on anymore. it. Well, yeah, no, that's a waste of time. Yeah, because you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to listen to it because I I I wanted to hear what I sounded like. Yeah, and, and how to get better. And then I found I was just listening to myself and like zoning out. I wasn't even listening. I was just I was like talking to myself. It was weird. Why do you collect watches? Status, quantity, sentimentality, obsession, etc. Oh, it's because of status, because I want to look cool and be cool. Um, so give me a good answer in about 30 seconds. Uh, so I, because I love the technology. So my my friend John today, I was like, hey, I'm going to go record this podcast. And he's like, I don't understand. I was like, dude, I love, I'm a tinkerer. We we know this about me. I love things. I love things that I don't understand. I love learning things. And one of the things I like about watches is this tiny little piece of engineering miracle it, the technology that goes into a watch fascinates me the different parts of a watch fascinate me how they can do exactly the same thing differently fascinates me and i love watches i like wearing a watch we've talked about this since the beginning i think if you can get the little details right you can get everything else right i feel put together when i'm wearing a watch and as a result of that i need many yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty close. Uh, you, you know, I collect watches for the same reason I drive an LS400. Right? I do not have to drive a 1996 Lexus. There is no necessity there for me. I could drive... A Prius, because you're kind of a Prius guy. I, I would probably drive a Prius. If I was going to go buy a new car, it'd be a Prius or perhaps a Tesla if I was feeling funky that day. You but, should drive a Tesla if you're going to choose that route, but it continue. But right, there's room in the budget. Right, so it's not like I'm forced into this 25 year old car. So I I collect watches for the same reason that I drive an LS 400, that I wear, uh, that I have you know 12 pairs of of American made dress shoes in my closet, and you know another 10 pairs of Air Maxes. Right, it's it's a thing. I I see a thing. I like a thing. I get the thing. And you want to know everything about that thing. And as you learn more about that thing, you want more of that thing. That's it. That's it. So so that's this is a good follow-up. Nick from Orion says, what keeps you interested slash engaged with watches? And, and hold on, a little, little uh, cutaway. I'm saying some of these people... Uh, because they're public people, and I, f- I know that they wouldn't be uh, I know that they wouldn't be offended that I said this person asked the question. Some of you, I'm just preserving your anonymity because I don't know. So if I'm not saying your name, it's just because I don't know the answer. But I know Nick would be okay. He says, "What keeps you interested, engaged with watches?" It's growing. It's different. It's constantly changing, even though it's always the same. Right? The 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 watch world could be in the way of the watch world could explode could have some kind of revolution tomorrow but it's all gonna be the same we're all going that every every watch company every watch manufacturer is going to be trying to fit this new technology this new cool thing into something 40 millimeters by 47 millimeters or less right how cool is that this is we're 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 dealing with the adult version of micro machines and i love it every watch is so different but exactly the same right <laughs> that's right 
Yeah, that's right. The the adult version of Micro Machines is is a, a fantastic line. If I was on my uh, Kindle app, I would I would highlight that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm yeah. I'm so profound. <laughs> Your thoughts on it are weeks where I feel like I don't want to do watches today. That's why we're doing this episode this week. I don't want to do watches today. Uh, but I will say, I will say this. I always come back. And because no matter what, Andrew, you know, will will ping me, you know, say Thursday or Friday afternoon and say, what are we doing this week? And I say, God, I don't know. What do you want to do? And then he'll say, well, why don't we do this? And in my head, I go, that's a fucking stupid topic, Andrew. And then I'll start... <laughs> And, and then be, you'll start bearing into it, and you're like, "Oh, I I like this." Like, and you'll watches bring, are fucking awesome. You'll bring more to the table than me, and I'll right. I'll come and I'll have you know a page of notes, and you'll be like, "You'll you'll have nine legal pages." And you're like, "I don't know how we're gonna fit this all in an hour." I'm like, "How did you like? You don't write any bigger than I do." <laughs> you know, it's just I keep you know the more I learn, the more the more interested I am. So and, and so for example, I have three chronographs sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. And they are all the same. They all do exactly the same mm-hmm. thing. And yet. And yet, no, there's no similarities. And yet, yeah. And I love them all. Yeah. In different ways. They're kind of like my children at this point. <laughs> at least one of those, or at least two of those are not your children at no, all. No, they're coming home with me, all of them. <laughs> Best travel travel watch with a dual time or GMT. Can, can, com- we, can we circle back? First, to our live audience question, because it sort of relates to oh, the yeah. question we we're just working on. Oh, our yeah. live audience. My friend John is here. He's sitting in the massage chair we, and we he's drinking beer with us. <laughs> and he asked, he, he brought over his phone. He was trying to not interrupt. And he asked, what about smartwatches? Uh, so, so John uh, works uh, at a university campus and he's our age. He's, you know, he's a grown ass adult and he works on a university and uh, educates the, the, the future of America. Yeah. And he asked, what about smartwatch? He said, all everyone he sees is wearing a smartwatch. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that we probably haven't given smartwatches the um, recognition they deserve in the watch industry or the, as, as the disruptors to the watch industry that they warrant, right? And I, I think we probably owe an entire episode to smartwatches and the, the, the value and the detriment to urology as a whole yeah but i I, so i i have never i've worn one i put it on my wrist and said okay you know and toxic does smartwatch straps he he makes a a uh terry from toxic natos yeah so terry terry makes um an adapter for apple watches to put his straps on apple watches so there's some companies in kind of peripheral to watches specifically who are in the smartwatch category barton's making apple watch straps um but i i think in the way of smartwatches i i don't think for people like you and me for mm-hmm. for watch folk mm-hmm. i don't think they hurt the watch industry because seiko is going to continue making oh, yeah. watches all the micros we love, all the boutique brands we love are going to continue making watches because there's always going to be a market for people like us. Yeah. Just just like there's always going to be a market for people who restore classic cars. Yeah, that's right. You know, I've bought my wife three very cool watches. Uh, yeah. Very, very cool watches. And she loves them. She loves them. Um, 
But, you know, she's just not into watches, right? I bought Sam an Apple Watch, and I just said there's no sense in buying her anymore. I bought Kim an Apple Watch for her birthday in February, and it's one of the one of the few gifts that I've given her that her eyes lit up when she opened the box. And she has worn it every day, and she loves it. I think that there's... At least she's worn it every day. Uh, what's that? At least she's worn it every day. Yeah. Well, I think that there's something to be said for uh, what a watch, what an Apple Watch can do... Uh, that integrates very well with our modern life. Yeah. Uh, for guys like you and I, I'm sort of, I'm not anti-Apple Watch. I'm certainly not anti-Apple Watch uh, because I think they're really cool. And and sometimes I, you know, I, I will grab her Apple Watch when I'm going to go on a run because I want to listen to This American Life for 10 and 2 while I run these six miles or whatever, right? Um, but it, it's not, in my mind, it's not properly a watch. It doesn't fill the void. That's right. I want to put a watch on. It's not doing the things I want a watch to do. Yep. Be cool. Even though it's cool. I've, it I, is so cool. I've yeah, I I can never see myself wearing one. And I and I feel that that's probably and I've I've seen the Instagram photos of people who put a put an explorer or a date just background on their Apple Watch. That's fun. That's cool. But it doesn't make it's it not, it doesn't it's make not it a watch. Do it. it doesn't it it just it it is a it is a cell phone a, a smartphone strapped to your wrist. It's a Tesla truck, is yeah. what it is. <laughs> that's exactly think, what that's, that's what a, an Apple Watch is. It's a Tesla truck. That's uncalled for, sir. That's <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, what, best travel watch with a dual time or GMT complication for under a thousand dollars? Under a thousand, shit. Um. Hmm. World timer, twenty bucks. Yeah, you don't give a shit if you lose it. If it if it doesn't make it through security, if it breaks, it's a five time zones preset. It has every time zone preloaded into it. You set the time once. You hit your time zone when you get off the plane. You're good to go. You, you know, I have I don't I've never touched one of these, um, but Squala's yeah. Tropic GMT with the ghosty gray blue bezel i love that watch i I think that i think that's the one that i always come back to if i'm gonna buy a sub thousand dollar gmt watch i think it would be that one so so i i really like bernhardt's but but the reason i tend towards the because so the word travel watch is what pushes me towards the world timer a travel a watch you're gonna travel with you kind of have to be emotionally prepared to lose interesting i don't agree but you don't think so you don't think a watch that you're going to be in a hotel with you have to be emotionally prepared to lose i i mean i just don't see that i, I mean i understand what you're saying but yeah. no I, I don't think it's a significant concern that i would have oh that's me anything i take traveling with me i'm emotionally prepared to you're lose ready to let it go yeah yeah that's fair yeah. Uh, i think that's i think that's totally fair uh no no for me i i don't see any sort of need to you you know i i i am cognizant if i have someone else's watch i won't travel with someone else's watch i won't i probably sort of yeah i mean i have didn't we take a nemo to mexico uh that's possible yeah that's possible (laughs) (laughs) no we didn't we left it here we just yeah no we didn't we because we talked about it actually so we're we're not the best people to answer this question what are the jewels for in a movement why does the amount matter? The amount doesn't matter. And the amount matters insofar as people felt like uh, as a marketing device, more jewels was more yeah. better. Uh, about 18 jewels, I think, is sort of the Seven, diminishing... Yeah. 17 is yeah, where you start to get into is, is the n- diminishing return. 
Uh, and what they do is they they from they lubricate your your movement. They, yeah, well, they're, they're not they're not they're the lubricating. They're the they're the bearings that your movement runs on. It's a it's a harder surface mm-hmm. that's less abrasion resistant than than steel, more or, abrasion resistant, or another yeah. or a precious metal or any sort of metal. So they're going to have less wear over time, and they're going to be a smoother surface. They're the so, bearings for your movement. And, um, and I, seventeen eighteen is I think the diminishing return. And yeah. I don't know why twenty three seems to be kind of the universal like this is what we're doing. Well, and yeah, when you, you get to luxury watches, you get into like twenty one, twenty five, twenty seven. You get into precious jewels, which yeah. is which is a function of just luxury items. Yeah. So short answer. Sorry, we can't do metal right now. Th- that's right. Anywhere where metal is going to be rubbing against other metal, you stick a jewel in there, and it creates a, a point of of less re- less abrasion, less resistance. Yeah. Thoughts on Seiko moving up market with higher prospect prospects slash presage prices and the Grand Seiko brand. Oh, I, uh, I'm kind of torn by it. I want Seiko to stay super affordable and super accessible, mm-hmm. I, and they don't have to because people love Seiko now. At this point, it, we're, we're looking at like a, a brand who has 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 become incredibly established. Everyone knows Seiko. Everyone, even non-watch people, know mm-hmm. Seiko, mm-hmm. and because of that, people associate it with a higher quality, closer to you know a luxury brand watch. Even though it's not a luxury, people know Seiko. People know Rolex. Those are the two watch brands that everyone knows. So people are going to be willing to pay more. If you walk into Macy's and you see a Seiko for two hundred fifty bucks, you'll be like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, no, I'm cool with that. You see a Seiko for 500 bucks. You're like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a Seiko. Mm-hmm. You see a Rolex for a couple grand. You're like, oh, that makes sense. That's a Rolex. And I think I think Seiko's brand recognition has garnered its ability to be a $500 and over watch brand. Yeah, no, I, I think that basically captures my thoughts as well. You know, you know, I remember at some point before I really started collecting watches thinking uh, Seiko's are something special. And and I think this idea that Seiko's moving up market is we're seeing it in real time. We're seeing it happen in real time. So it's certainly happening. Uh, I would say that Seiko has been... Uh, sort of lagging in that regard over the course of the last 20 years right Mm -hmm. they should already be there yeah Uh, and and i think that grand seiko made it so they didn't have to perhaps and then they split perhaps you know i think seiko's taking control of its brand in a way that makes perfect sense i don't take anything away from them for their decision and i want them to continue to make good watches i want them to continue making the ssb yeah, <laughs> and the SKX for that matter, but I've lost that hope. So at least, at least give me the SSB. Don't don't take that away from me. You, you know, I think as with any brand, you've got to sort of be comfortable with where the brand is at any given time. Uh, my my um, life is not dependent on what Seiko is going to do next year. We've got another question that we're not going to answer. Someone did ask us, what are our thoughts are on all the new releases? Uh, we're going to get there indirectly by way of an, another question because we just don't have time to talk about it. Neither one of us are going to buy any of those watches that got announced last week, at least not in the next year. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not a cute Timex. They're not really... You did buy a cute Timex. They're not really on our radar, but but we I think we'll get there indirectly coming up. So... 
Do you have any tips on finding the near mythical local watchmaker with reasonable pricing? No. <laughs> Because they don't exist. Here's what you need to do. You're going to need to... I don't have an answer. I don't I don't know the, the avenue to go to find your local watchmaker, to find a local watchmaker. My, my greatest recommendation is, is to hit the forums and find... Because there's not going to be a local watchmaker. Well, we've got a local watchmaker here in but town. But he's a dick. He, he's a... Well, no. So there's two of them, right? There's one of them that's a dick that I would never even step foot into a store. And then there's the Andersons. Andersons, uh, I think John is the name of... You're coming in quiet. You I'm coming in quiet. Yeah. I think John is the name of the yeah. owner in Anderson's, and he's not a dick, and I think he's a good watchmaker. Uh, but he's not, I, I mean, it's not what I'd call quote unquote reasonable pricing because watches are fucking expensive, right? So this is a man who's dedicated his life to a craft. And and so what what do we mean when we say reasonable pricing? I don't think he's gouging. go to watch school. That's that's how you find the re, the local watchmaker is is that you become that person. This shit's you, expensive. He's a fucking master craftsman. It's not reasonable implies to me that it, it's not going to cost an arm and a leg. Well, guess what? That's the equivalent of asking for a reasonably priced mechanic when your engine blows a head gasket. It's you're you're paying a couple grand. Going to cost an arm and a leg if mm-hmm. you want to have. Uh, a 7S26 movement service, it's going to cost you four times or 12 times the cost of the movement. Sorry, that's not a, a reasonably priced watchmaker. doesn't exist. They, they're reasonably priced because that's the value of a service. And, and you're going to have to outsource it. You're not going to be able to go local. You're going to have to go to somebody like Terry in Colorado from, from Toxic. Like you're, you're, you're going to have to go out of your area. You're going to have to go to the forums. You're going to have to go to Watch You Seek. And they're going to... They're going to refer you to then 12 guys, maybe 15 guys across the United States who are doing this as a passion project and not as a living. That's right. And that's what it comes down to. If you're looking for a reasonable price, you're going to have to look for dudes who are doing it out of the passion, not because they want to make money doing it. And and let's take the piss out of that word uh, reasonable, right? Because it's fucking reasonable no matter what they charge you because that's how much they charge, right? The only... The only unreasonable pricing in the world is Eric at EA8. Right. <laughs> and and yeah, I'll say it again, Eric. You you don't charge enough for your watch your watch straps. Charge more. Okay, so scratches, dings, nicks on the watch slash bracelet. Do you leave them or do you clean them up and why? You leave them. I leave them. That's personality. That's patina. That's the character that, that watch has earned as being a part of your life. My truck. It's parked in your front of your house right now. I can't wash. I've driven it through the woods so many times, through across so many logging roads that are not drivable because trees have fallen, branches are in it, brambles are across it. I've I've driven it off the road just through like fucking Jurassic Park world. That when it's washed, it looks like it's striped. <laughs> I I spent probably three hours trying to buff out scratches and it didn't it made no difference. And I love my truck. It's the personality that my truck is owned. Because my truck goes everywhere with me. And and my my Mako, every little scratch, ding, that's that's my that's my go to watch. It's it's earned its life. It's earned its scratches. They're just the scar. They're they're just like the scars that I carry on my body. 
you know, I am maybe a little bit more liberal. I will brush a buckle. I will brush a, the bottom of a strap if it's getting if it's getting sort of unduly scratched. But yeah, by and large, I'm not polishing bezels. I'm not. Um, occasionally, I'll take a Cape Cod cloth to the sides on my SKX because I love it when they're blingy. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, by and large, I just roll with it, right? I've never touched my Sarb with any any sort of polishing cloth. Now, this is interesting because this is a bit of a segue. Uh, I was talking to to Catlin over at um, I can never remember which one prefers Cat and which one prefers Catlin. I was talking to uh, Catlin dot watches dot life, um, not Cartoon Cat, but the other one, and she said something about. Um, you know, you better clean your your bracelets yourself and not take them to someone to clean them. And I was like, wait, do people do that? Do people not clean their watches? Do people clean their watches? I clean my watches all the time. Uh, the only watches I clean are my uh, like my my Iron Man and my fifty six hundred. The reason I clean my fifty six hundred is because I wear it at work and I encounter a lot of yucky at work. It's got meth on it at any yeah, given time. It's got like meth, literally like, like actual crystal meth, actual meth, like <laughs> actual blood. So I I hit it with like the like kill everything wipes. Yeah, and then I hit it with Q tips. Uh, and the same with my Iron Man. I have a soft bristle toothbrush, and I take baking soda. I baking soda and a soft bristle, or or even or even Tom's of Maine. I'll take tooth toothpaste, and I'll hit the bracelet. I'll hit it on the inside. I'll hit the inside of the lugs. Am I dirty? Am I yucky? Do I? Is it bad? That I've I don't never clean my noticed watches? that your watches are dirty. But I, yeah, no, I definitely clean mine when they look like they need to get cleaned. I fucking clean them. Oh, I don't clean. I, maybe I'm yucky. Yeah, you. <laughs> so, uh. What do you call? No, I'm going to skip that one. No, do we it. already talked I, about. It. No, we already talked about. I just that want one. to hear the question because I'm. I'm it, it sounds like a joke. <laughs> nah, it's not. What do you call a bracelet that had a first link that is larger than the end link? Why can't I buy one? So this question came a from tapered bracelet. No, nah, it's not tapered. It is. He's talking about something different. So he's talking about the end link being skinny and then it flares out to that first link. Oh, like a like an integrated bracelet kind of like, a, like for a hooded perhaps lug? yes for hooded lugs uh. that's right and so we talked about this a little and i think that the answer is because those are going to be super sort of unique in size and they're going to be really designed for a specific watch which is probably why you can't buy them on the general market but it, frankly i don't know that what you'd call them good luck yeah good luck talk to eric he does some pretty cool custom leather straps right <laughs> So here's another one. Uh, sir. Ooh, who's he talking to? Are bund straps demonstrably no, better than no, all other not, type of straps? No. No. <laughs> this came from an account, by the way, called Bund or Bust. Ooh. Bund or Bust. Uh, bust. Bust. <laughs> bust. The effort you put into creating the Instagram account, I commend... But I must say that there's a reason the Bund strap did not make a showing in our in our uh, uh, exhaustive list of the top straps, I will bracelets, just, I will just say shoes for I, your watch. I am very certain I know exactly who this person is. This person has been trolling the Instagrams as of late, and and, and for good reason. Uh, but yeah, he, he th- though the picture he did send us of that watch on I don't remember what watch it was on a Bund strap. It did look dope. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make me like the strap though okay this was a good combo last question are you ready do me if orient is the new seiko 
is Vostok the new Orient? No, because Vostok isn't growing. Vostok isn't changing. They're still dropping garbage and the amphibia and the commander. Okay, so the new the new Orient then being on the count of three, one, two, three, Timex. Timex yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that's, that's uh, in my mind, that's what's happened here. I think Seiko's moved into sort of uh, some sort of hybrid, uh, almost Swiss brand. I think they filled the gap between luxury Swiss and Swiss and luxury. So they filled that, they filled the gap between luxury watches. Like they, they've generally... Seiko is is in most people's mind a sub sub five hundred dollar watch. I think they've stepped into the five to thousand dollar range. Yeah, which I think is I I think we can all agree on. They're in sort and, of and so they're, they're in, that, in sort of the Tiso, maybe yeah. not quite Oris, but but they're sort in that of they're in that zone. There, Orient's going to fill that space, and Orient I think is going to drop some new lines, some some new watches over the course of the next three to five years to fill that gap. And I think we're going to see Timex seeing this transition and, and just seeing what Timex has done in the last year, they're going to step up and they're going to fill that Orient gap. And I'm really excited to see an American company fill that gap. Hole to fill that hole. (laughs) (laughs) Other things, Andrew go. So what I want to talk about Dave, my other thing I sort of already talked about was fishing on the row. And I took, I didn't catch a single fish today. We heard the excuses. I, I, and I, so I worked at it for, for quite a while. I had, I was cold, I had to poop, but I worked at it. Like I was, I was, I, I hit it pretty hard. I changed flies a couple times. I was starting to get pissed off because John's over here. So John's <laughs> our, ripping fish John's our live water. audience right now. He's just sitting in the massage chair drinking beer. And John's <laughs> just ripping fish out of the fucking river. And I'm, I'm getting sort of pissed off because I'm like, here I am telling him that the 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 experience of the Pacific Northwest is trout fishing on a fly rod. And he's got he's got my trout gear and he's just <laughs> pulling fish out. I got one, fish on. I'm like, shut the fuck up, John. I don't care. And I'm throwing my fly. I'm getting tangled up because I'm just starting to get angry and I'm just like flailing like an idiot in the water it's normally how you fly fish though yeah but i'm getting like i'm getting mad and i'm also cold so i'm getting like extra mad and, and you i gotta poop and i have to poop so i'm like getting really yeah so and he's he's so john fished in my in my uh in my water fouling waders so he's he's expecting to be cold so he wore like uh like a waffle bottom thermals and he's wearing my neoprene waders so he's like dripping sweat and just gear fishing and ripping fish and I'm fly fishing and I'm in my waders and I figured I'd be comfortable so I'm in no insulation I'm freezing I'm fishing I'm furious <laughs> in this hunting hole but what I, what I I loved sharing the northwest river fishing experience with someone who's never had that and yeah. I think that's it, it was it was super spe- and I and I think really valuable for me to not catch any fish in the way of a learning experience to just share the to share what we have here in the northwest fishing in a small stream for rainbow trout or cutthroat is and he caught a cut he caught rainbows and i know if i were to go to carolina or to virginia and or florida and fish with him and and we go out 
surf fishing and we're in shorts and flip-flops and we're casting he'd have exactly the same sure. feeling of like i don't want to catch anything right now because my only goal is that you get to experience what i get to experience every day and i loved it because he's he's been out here a couple times for work but this is the first time i've ever got to take him fishing up here and it was such a cool like one of the best feelings i've ever had like the only way i could top it is if he came out here in september and we went elk hunting and he got to shoot an elk yeah well i'll tell you i really appreciate the invite and i'm sorry that i couldn't make it um but yeah, no, I do appreciate yeah. you messaging me to ask me to go because that was super nice of you, fucking bastard. Um, I've got it was two- a little impromptu, so I'm I'm not sorry I didn't invite you, but I'm sorry you didn't come. <laughs> I've got I've got two. I'm gonna make one of them short because um, it's it, it's sort of I feel a little bit weird about this one because there's a couple of uh, podcasts that are pimping this thing pretty hard right now, but. Um, the group, the public radio group that owns NPR and that owns WBZ Chicago, is it W? Yes, WBZ Chicago. Yeah, and and the uh, Radio Lab, and you know some of these big these big NPR type podcast groups, they bought a few months ago. They bought Pocket Casts. And so this is going to sound like a paid advertisement. I promise you they are not paying us anything. I, we I don't make money here. I can promise you. Uh, but Pocket Casts became, I think in September of last year, a free app. And I, I just haven't gotten around to trying it. I downloaded it on my phone today and it's fucking awesome. What's it do? You know, it's a podcast app, but the way it organizes podcasts, the way it allows you to search and the way it does sort of trending is it, suggested, you know, its search function for different podcasts is really good. I liked it a lot. If you have any reservations about the podcast app you're using, whew. that was deep. <laughs> I'd say give it a try. Uh, I really like it. I have been an Overcast user for years because I really like Overcast. I've used Breaker on and off, although Breaker, I think, is sort of like a social, um, and I'm just not digging that. But I'm an iTunes guy. You, you know, the, I, the the Apple podcast app, I don't think is half bad. But Pocket Casts, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I've been using Are it. Are we on Pocket Casts? We, well, yeah, you can find us on Pocket Casts. Okay, yeah, then you can use Pocket Casts. Right. Continue <laughs> your spiel. You can find everybody. It picks up an RSS feed. So it, so if you're publishing by way of iTunes at, at, at any level, you're going to be able to find it. Um, that's it. Pocket Casts. I think give it a try. If you, if you have any reservations about your podcast system, I do understand that importing from other apps is a little bit of a bitch. Uh, I didn't have that issue, uh, but some people have suggested. I think if you're a power user, you might have some difficulty there, but uh, I didn't. Did you know that people are now for uh, music that <clears throat> you don't want to buy, like the the Napster, the the current era Napster? People are uploading music as podcasts. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I do. I was not aware of that. Yeah, that I, makes sense. I recently learned that that people will like in order to shit crowd share. Music they Music, upload as a podcast. They just upload it as a podcast. That makes sense. Cool. I'll have to figure that out. We should do that and then start it's getting like advertising. <laughs> um, we can pay for this podcast. Um, that that reminds me. Uh, I want to talk to you about something we're done. Uh, America. Do I cut this out? <laughs> I think maybe. Um, the <clears throat> other thing I have. So there's a fella. There's a fella on YouTube named Guga. And Google? I, Guga. Is he British? 
No. And says his name is Google? Uh, he's American. Uh, but oh, okay. I think he's probably of Latin ancestry of sorts. But he has two YouTube channels. One of them is called Sous Vide Everything. Oh, I could Sous Vide Everything. Sous Vide Everything? Sous Vide Everything? No, Whatever. Sous Vide. Right. <laughs> and the other one is called Google Foods. Uh, they're, they're both sort of meat heavy cooking YouTube channels. Sous vide everything obviously is focused on sous vide, sous vide food. Uh, (laughs) and the other sort of concentrates on, uh, dry aged and very fine steaks and meats. Uh, but he does experiments. He does experiments. So people will say, Hey Google, we think that you can, uh, do like a dry aged tenderized thing packed in butter. And he's like, well, fuck it. Let's try it. He does a lot of, um, uh, like Kobe, Australian Kobe, uh, or not Kobe. Um, yeah. Kobe. Yeah. Why is he so rich? You know, I, it's just what he does. It, these channels are freaking awesome. I watch almost every video that comes out on either channel, and they're all really good. He's goofy. He's a goofy dude. And he has, I don't know where these guys come from. They must work for him in some capacity. But he brings these guys on to do tests with him, you know, to taste the food. Risk food poisoning. That's right. They're That's probably right. his siblings. Uh, perhaps, you know, I don't think they are. I think that they must be employees. And I'm not sure what his... What his primary hey Guga, is. if you're looking for someone who's willing to risk food poisoning, I'm your guy. Right, <laughs> but it makes me just want to try everything. I, it, you know, I looked at making a dry aging locker in my backyard, and it's pretty easy. You just frame out a room and put an air conditioner. You in don't it. even need to do that. He shows you. He has these bags. They're not. I mean, he uses these bags where he just takes like a a ribeye, a whole a whole ribeye, sticks it in a bag, vacuum packs it, just like you were going to sous vide it. And, and sticks it in the fridge for 30 days. And then they bring it out, and he's like, this is dope. You've got to check out Google Foods, Andrew. I am amazed. <sighs> I didn't, we, don't, we don't talk about this before we record. I'm amazed that you haven't watched it. I haven't. Yeah. I don't YouTube bunch. Let's go in, let's go in on a ribeye, and you can use your uh, vacuum packer. To, okay. Yeah. We're going to have to get the bags. We'll get a ribeye. I have bags. I well, have a vacuum sealer. I have everything. Well, but I want to make a dry... No, you need special bags. You need special bags. I have a vacuum sealing bags. Like I have the vacuum back bags. You need special dry agent bags. That's what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is that I want to frame out a <laughs> dry aging room. All you have to do is fr- frame out a small room, put some racks in it, and attach an air conditioner to it. And if you music me right now, this is not the Oscars. <laughs> You've done this. I want to get one of these big hooks. I want to get one of those big shepherd's hooks. You know, last week after you musicked me, you let me finish after we ended recording. You're like, oh man, I wish I hadn't musicked you. That was interesting. (laughs) That's true. I'm done talking. (laughs) Bye bye. Andrew, do you got anything else for this? Fuck (laughs) off. No. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20. If you didn't, if we didn't answer your question, uh, fear not. There'll be another one of these. Check us out on patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get all the support for the show. That's how we pay for hosting. That's how we pay for microphones. That's how we pay for this wonderful recording thing where I can turn the music up and down and, and up and cue it down. in right as soon as I start talking. Basically every time. We've got a review on the YouTube channel uh, up this week. We, uh, what was it? Yep. What did we put up on? Oh, you put the Nemo up. No, 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 no. You put yeah, the sector yeah. up. The EMG Nemo. The EMG Nemo went up on the YouTube this week. Uh, our YouTube review. It's a really fun review. Check it out. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday. 
for another hour watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.